All right, welcome. Here we are, part three of our series, Where to Turn. We're talking about psalms that light the way. And this morning, you can tell we're studying this psalm that we've entitled, Where to Turn When Your World is Falling Apart. So I wonder, uh, have you noticed that everything seems to be in the process of falling apart? Uh, anyone here, your body falling apart? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? one person has said this, he's written, you know your body's falling apart when everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. <laughs> All right, here's, here's another, you know your body is falling apart <laughs> when you need oxygen after blowing out your birthday candles. <laughs> you know your body's falling apart when your teeth they, they, when you sink your teeth into a thick, juicy steak, and they stay there. <laughs> All right. Anyone, anyone's car falling apart? What about your house? Anything in your house falling apart? Anyone's toilet falling apart? Let's not go there, right? Okay. Have you noticed that our world, like never before, is falling apart? And that's what we want to talk about. Our world. This globe, government, just seems to be falling apart. The United States, how often I hear from people just what I'm hearing in the news, I just can't believe. The state of California, in so many ways, seems to be falling apart. The Bay Area, our roads, our schools, the institution of marriage, families. It's not like we need to work hard at all at pointing this out, because it's everywhere. You read or watch the news, and the facts speak for themselves. This opioid epidemic, I'm sure you've heard of, 115 Americans die every day, every day from drug overdose, school shootings, destructive fires, which are all around us here in California, immigration wars that are just dividing our country, MS-13 killings, murder, rape, human trafficking. I mean, the latest thing is that we've got people from all sorts of outside of the state of California coming into California, scoping in on someone who's weak, kidnapping them, throwing them in their trunk, taking them outside the state, and then, you know, calling their relatives asking for ransom. This is happening all over our state. Child abuse, child abduction, drugs, violent, horrific crime, domestic violence, political corruption, poverty. There's no absolutes, no prayer, no God, no Jesus. Yes, militant racism. Yes, hatred. Yes, nuclear stockpiling. Yes, poverty. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on. Where do we turn when our world is falling apart? Uh, locally, globally, nationally. Psalm 2 is an amazing psalm. Let me give you three brief introductory thoughts about this psalm that I think kind of will give a good context for our understanding as we launch in. The first is that this psalm, Psalm 2, is a, 
what theologians call a, a messianic or a royal psalm. And all messianic psalms or royal psalms, they proclaim one message primarily, and it's that Jesus Christ is sovereign Lord over everything, globally, nationally, locally, it doesn't matter. And when your world is falling apart, and you see that in front of your very eyes, you need to be reminded of that fact. The second thing about Psalm 2 that we don't see in this psalm itself here in the book of Psalms is that it's written by King David. And we know that because of Acts chapter 4 verse 25 which attributes Psalm 2 to David as being its author. And the third thing is that uh, this psalm has three very distinct movements. And in each of those movements there's something we want to consider this morning that will really help us with a perspective when our world is falling apart. So this morning, we want to look at three things to remember when our world is falling apart. And here's the first thing. This is what the Bible teaches. Yes, our world is falling apart. But God is not worried, so don't be worried. Now, if God were worried, I would be worried, right? And so would you, but what we see is that God is not worried at all with what is going on in our world today. And, and notice how this fact is brought out in the first four verses. Yes, our world is falling apart, but, but look at these first, just, well, let's read the first three verses, and these read like our daily news. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? I mean, as we read this, you think of your neighbors, you think of what's going on in our culture, you think of what's going on, let's just focus on the United States right now. Why do the nations conspire, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Let me give you, I want to break that down and give you four thoughts about how David saw his world falling apart, even back then, but the ripple effect goes out into history even to today. First of all, he says that the nations, why do the nations conspire? That word conspire comes from the root word that means to make a unified noise. The New American Standard translates it, why do the nations rage? One commentator says that verse 1 could be translated, why is there so much international conflict? Why? Unrest and bloodshed and violence, the horror of fighting and war, it, it's so commonplace. We sit at home and we view the latest carnage graphically portrayed on television or on the internet or on our cell phones. And we see pictures of the Middle East and North Korea and China and India, and Africa, and Syria, and Iraq, and ISIS, and it, Boko Haram, and it just goes on and on and on. And we hear of all these places, and our minds fill with all these images of fighting, and raging, and uproar, and rebellion, and conspiracy, and we just go, our world just seems to be falling apart. At any given moment, there are at least 20 wars being fought on planet Earth. And then second, David says in verse 1, and the people's and they plot in vain. There's all this plotting and, 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 and strategizing, but it's all in vain. And are we seeing that today or what? Scheming. 
and planning and living life and society apart from God. And it's all in vain. There's no purpose. It's empty and it's meaningless. And I think of Proverbs 14, 12 that says, there's a way that seems right to a man. And you've got all these nations, 238 nations in our world. And they're all plotting and scheming. And it just seems like they're self-destructing. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death, is what the Bible says. Are we seeing that today or what? We think about the United States. I mean, are we seeing any kings, which are political leaders, taking their stand against his anointed? In Greek, that means Christ, Jesus. That's a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ there in that psalm. Are we seeing any rulers, any liberal judges, any special interest groups, any politicians, any public educators, any celebrities, any comedians taking their stand against the Lord and his Christ publicly in our nation? You know who's significantly ruling today? The media. The media. You see anyone in Hollywood taking their stand against the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ, taking his name in vain, slandering the name of Jesus? Notice their rallying cry in verse 3. This is what they're saying. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. In modern day lingo, we want freedom from God. We want freedom from Jesus. We want freedom from these Christians, these bigoted, oppressive Christians. One commentator says the chains and shackles that they wish to get rid of are the principles and standards of Jehovah God and Jesus Christ. See, our culture today, it sees the Bible, it sees Christianity as outdated and, and repressive in every single respect. Society is taking careful aim at repressive institutions. Those repressive institutions are the traditional family and the church, the centerpieces of oppression that are... This is exactly what the Bible foretells would take place. This is what's happening in the nations around us. Let us throw off the chains of Christianity. Let us throw off the shackles of God, the family, these institutions that God has established. Now let me put David's observation in theological or eschatological perspective. Commentators, they're very much so in agreement that David is not seeing only the conspiring and plotting of world powers that existed in his era, like 1000 BC, but he's also seeing prophetically the rebellion that would take place against God throughout history, leading up to the ultimate rebellion that, would, that will be embodied within Antichrist, and the spirit of Antichrist is here, but one day the person of Antichrist will emerge and this will lead to the great tribulation. And all we're seeing is a buildup to this. And Christians, we can't be ignorant. This is what the Bible clearly says is going to happen. This is going to happen. Why are we seeing the nation's, you know, rage? This is what the Bible says is going to happen. The United States is going to self-destruct. If, you, if you're hoping that the United States, your hope is in the wrong place. And until your hope turns to the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, you will ever be in a position where, where are you going to turn? 
going to turn to the United States, the government of the United States? Where are we ever called to do that as Christians? I'm getting ahead of myself right now, sorry. <laughs> uh, let me give you a quote from a theologian. His name's Ron Allen. It's a long quote, but it's good. Just kind of putting in perspective where we're going this morning. He says this, The raging of the nations against the kings of Judah was sporadic, limited in scope and duration. The raging of the nations against the person of the Lord has been monumental. But even the raging of the Herods and the Pilots of history have been limited compared to the way the nations will rage as they sense the second advent of our Lord drawing near. That's his second coming. In many prophecies of the Old and New Testaments, there are descriptions of the final conflict between good and evil, between the Lord and Satan, between Christ and the nations. Our Lord described this period of time as unparalleled in the history of the earth. This day of false expectations and misguided hope, of deception and deceit, of carnage and distress, will be followed by the great ev event that leads, that ends history, begins the kingdom, and ushers in eternity, the glorious return of Christ to the earth. Here are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from the end of the heaven to the other. Alan says, in these words we see that the terrible end of this age will be followed by the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus to begin his rule of light and joy. We expect then that the worst will precede the best. We are in the worst right now. This will precede the best. It's only going to get worse. This is what the Bible clearly teaches. Clearly teaches. So yes, what should you do when your world's falling apart? You bet. Of course. The world's going to be falling apart. On schedule. But guess what? God is not worried. And you shouldn't be worried as well. Have you ever wondered what God thinks about the rebellion of the world? About the fish shaking? About taking his son's name in vain on TV and in the movies? and in the workplace, about the atheism, about the mockery, about the slander, about the hatred toward his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think God is worried? <laughs> verse 4 clarifies God's position. Look at verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Wow. Nietzsche said, God is dead. God is not dead. God laughs. That is a, that is a term of strong ridicule, ridicule. Now, please note, God is not saying that he doesn't care. This is like a poetic expression. You see, God, he, he spoke a word, and he created a hundred billion galaxies, each with a hundred billion stars. We are one little tiny planet, one little speck, and man shakes his fist at God, and God says, 
Are you serious? What's the point? The point is this. Yes, our world is falling apart, but God's not worried. God's not worried at all. So guess what? Christian, don't be worried. I didn't say don't be concerned. I didn't say don't be involved. Just don't worry. You know, I remember years ago uh, taking a history class, and we were discussing, is history, is it circular? Does it just repeat itself endlessly? Or is it linear? Does it head toward a particular destination? And that was the discussion, the debates. The Bible categorically proclaims in absolute terminology that this world is in God's hands. It is perfectly right on course. It is for a destination. It is linear. History is moving right on schedule, exactly on schedule. According to God's sovereign plan, right on course. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In order for there to be a new heaven and a new earth, this kingdom which we're in right now, the kingdom of this world, must pass away. It is in the process of passing away. The only reason it still exists is because of God's love and his patience for mankind, which we'll look at later, and womankind. Totally politically correct, (laughs) since I'm being videotaped. But this world in its, you know, present process, it's falling apart right on schedule, only to be made completely new again. So what do we do? When we look at the news, when we get emotionally rocked about what we see, we're human, we got to put on a different way of looking at this world, a biblical way of looking at the world. That's what we're looking at this psalm. It gives us God's perspective on this world. And the first thing is this. We just got to the first point. we got two others that are awesome. I can't wait to get to. But yes, you have to agree. Our world is falling apart, but guess what? God's not worried. God is actually kind of laughing. Not that he doesn't care. He's just like, are you serious? All this raging, all this uproar directed ultimately at my son? God's not worried, so don't be worried. But this is the thing. We get worried, don't we? We do. We're human. I like you to talk about the reality of what's real with all of us. You watch the news. Some of us, we are so freaked out, we, we can't watch the news. And it's difficult to watch the news unless you have Psalm 2 in mind. I know many Christians who just, I don't want to watch what's going on and they check out. No, no, no. You're not called to be so heavenly minded, you're not earthly good. You need to be connected with what's going on so you can be salt and light. But you need God's perspective to bring that into our culture. Because people need your perspective, which is the biblical perspective that we're going to learn here. We are learning in Psalm 2. But I'd like you to be real right now, and here's the discussion question before we move on. Consider part question, answer two and three. Why do we, here, I'm not asking you what, how it shows, I'm asking you why. Why do we often worry when we see our world falling apart? Why? And be honest, talk about that at your tables, go for it. Okay, so we're looking at three things to remember when our world is falling apart. How many of you would agree? Our world seems to be falling apart, you know? Okay? 
Um, so the first thing is, yep, our world's falling apart. God's not worried, so I'm not going to be worried. Second is this. We need to remember this. God has established his king with a promised kingdom, and nothing and no one can change this decree. Have you ever wondered what God would say to a rebellious world if he were interviewed on world television? Literally, if God were interviewed. Well, verses 4 to 9 records for us God's threefold message to the world. This is God's message to a rebellious world. One commentator says this, After mocking them with the laughter of divine contempt, God speaks and acts from his perfectly balanced righteous anger. I mean, God's heart breaks for the rebellious world. But there's the other side of God's mercy. You've got righteous anger. And, and, and these are three things that God just brings out. He says, you wake up, rebellious world. And number one is this. Here's the first message. Message number one, I have installed my king. Look at verses four to six. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. This is the first thing God wants the world to know. Now, this verse was written a thousand years before Christ. How are we to understand the past tense of verse 6? You see, verse 6 says, I have, past tense, installed my king. Well, historically, this is a reference to King David and all the kings in the messianic line leading up to Christ. But prophetically, in verse 6, this is a reference pointing to the establishment of Jesus Christ as king of kings. And the point here is this. God wants the world to know that he has installed, he has established his king. You see, in the heart of God from eternity past, Jesus Christ is God's established, appointed Messiah, king, to sovereignly rule the universe. And in the midst of the nations conspiring and plotting and rebelling and seeking to throw off God's authority, and ultimately that's what they're seeking to do, God laughs. And he proclaims, I've established my king, and your rebellion against my king, Jesus, my son, is not going to change anything. Verse 6 proclaims the kingship of Jesus Christ. I have installed my king on Zion. God is saying, world, look to Jerusalem, the center, the centerpiece, the jewel of all political, religious, everything points to Jerusalem. My son was born in Bethlehem. He was dedicated in Jerusalem. He died in Jerusalem. He resurrected in Jerusalem. This vindicates over 400 prophecies that are in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ. There's nothing like what Christ has done in fulfilling these prophecies. If you would just look at objectively, who G God could not speak more clearly about the King of Kings is Jesus Christ. His resurrection, it secured his kingship. 
Jesus' ascension from the Mount of Olives up into heaven, it portrayed his kingship, and Christ's bodily return to this earth will establish his kingship. And he will reign here on this earth for a thousand years and then into eternity. I don't know about you, but when my world is falling apart, I need to remind myself that Jesus Christ is the established king of God. Not any other political king down here at this level that God looks at and laughs at, especially those that scoff at him and his son. You know, I have a friend, and he loves to read uh, mystery novels. I don't know if any of you are into them. He loves them, but he hates them because he hates the suspense, you know? So he tells me that he always reads the, first, the last chapter first. <laughs> Let me tell you, the last chapter is Jesus Christ is king of this universe. Is that he reigns. He wins, okay? I mean, read the last chapter. This is where all history is leading. Don't worry. This is God's plan. Nothing can change this. God has established his king. Message number two is this. My king will usher in a kingdom. I mean, we are so into the physical. Some people, they can't believe in the spiritual because you can't see it. Okay, God says, well, I want you to understand. A kingdom is coming. It's going to be a physical kingdom. He not only has his king established, but this king is going to usher in, usher in a literal, physical, coming kingdom. And verses 7 to 9, it contains God's second proclamation to the world. David is making, he's speaking here, and notice what David says in verse 7 at the beginning of it. He says, I will pro proclaim the Lord's decree. He said, I'm giving you now an authoritative order that comes straight from the throne of God. And David is going to quote a prophetic reference fulfilled in Jesus. God is prophetically speaking directly to his son in what we're going to read. And in the later part of verse 7, and, and we know this to be true because Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 to 6, you can look at that later, but it points that out that this is in reference to his son, God speaking to his son. But listen to the prophetic message. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, that's God the Father speaking to me, Jesus. And this is what God is saying prophetically to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth your possession. He said to me, you are my son. This is picturing the incarnation. A thousand years yet into the future when David spoke this prophetic word. And listen to God's prophetic decree promised to his son. In verses 8 and 9, ask me, my son. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Wow. These two verses, they describe the promised kingdom that Jesus Christ will inherit from his father. This is a promise from God the Father to his son. Verse 8 tells us that this kingdom will include all the nations. All the nations. Every nation on earth is going to be part of this kingdom, son. And then verse 8, the latter part, tells us that the kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth. 
God wants the world to know that his son will reign over the entire planet, every nation. And verse 9 says that his rule, it will be a sovereign rule. And he will judge this world to set up his kingdom as he reigns. Now, with those promises in mind that God gives in this messianic psalm, I want us to consider a few scriptures in the book of Revelation because we now see the fulfillment of that promise in the book of Revelation, literally, as God describes the setting up of the kingdom. First of all, turn to Revelation 19, if you'd like to. And and this is an amazing scripture. This is a, a picture of the second coming. When Jesus Christ comes to earth, one of the biggest misconceptions about the second coming is is, is missing the whole point of what it is. Christ comes, the, the second coming is about judging this world. Those who scoff God, he is going to judge. And then he's going to set up his kingdom. But look, if you would, Revelation 19. It's, this is in fulfillment of what God prophetically promised his son in uh, Psalm 2. This will happen. This is the picture of the future that John received in the book of Revelation. This is the second coming, and by the way, if you're a Christian, you're going to be here. In this moment in history, you're going to be coming from heaven to earth with the second coming of Christ. You're a believer, you're going to be here in this drama as we're reading it. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. With justice, he judges. You see, he's coming with justice. He's coming to judge those who are in rebellion against him, who are still on planet Earth. And he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. Some of us have a picture of Jesus, meek and mild. That's a part of Jesus. He's the lamb slain, but he's also a king. And he will come to judge. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. I think that name is so holy and so terrifying in many ways, we can't even understand it right now. This is God. This is the king of the universe. We can't even know his name right now. And he's coming. No one knows him but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him. That's you and me. Following Christ. Riding on white horses. Some of you have never been on a horse. You will be. Dressed in fine linen. You will be. White and clean. You will be. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations who rebelled against him. Who took the name of his son in vain. He's going to judge. He will rule them with an iron scepter. This is all prophetic Imagery that we're reading out of Psalm 2. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, man. (gasps) And then the kingdom's going to come. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation back, chapter 7. Because this is kind of the end all. This is like kind of the settled picture of after the second coming. We see this beautiful picture. Verse 9, and Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude 
that no one can count from every nation. You see, Psalm 2 says every nation's going to be here in the kingdom. Tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their house, their, their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. You see, no one here is now rebelling against God. All the wicked have been wiped out. That's what's going to happen. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. That is what's going to happen. True as anything. And we're going to be left praising the Lord in a new kingdom. All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down with their faces before the throne. They worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Wow. Love it. Where do you turn, you know, when your world just seems to be falling apart? Remember, <laughs> uh, God has established his king, and he's coming. And nothing can change it. There's a third part to God's message that he wants the world to hear, and it's this. this. Nothing and no one can change this decree. Look at verse 8. Ask me and I will make the nation's son your inheritance. And then verse 9. You will break them. You will dash them. Notice God says, I will. And then my son, you will. You will. I will. You will. You will. This is going to happen. It's unalterable, unchangeable. He's established his king with a promised kingdom. Nothing and no one can change that decree. And God laughs at any attempt. Imagine attempting to pick up this earth and throw it from our solar system. I tried to come up with the most bizarre, crazy... Okay, just try, imagine, trying to lift up this planet. Go ahead, try it right now. Just reach down, try to pick up the planet, and throw it from our solar system. It would be easier to do that than to change the way history is heading for the kingdom of God. It would be way easier to do that. This is unalterable. Jesus Christ is king. He's Lord. He's master. He's, rule. He's our ruler. Right now, Satan is ruling. Christ is sovereign over it, but we see his hand at work everywhere. One day, Satan's rule will be gone. But this earth, it, it, it's on an unalterable course. Destiny, the kingdom of God. And nothing and no one can alter this plan. No war, no bomb, no demon, no president, no calamity, no, nor Satan himself or all of his millions of demons can change that. Thy kingdom come, we pray it. Thy will be done. It's more than a prayer. It is a promise of God. This kingdom, God's kingdom will come physically to this planet. And this world is going to be in absolute shock and in terror. That's what the Bible says. This is God's promise. It's sealed with his son's blood. And as Christians, we need to look at our world this way. Yes, the world is falling apart. God's not worried. I shouldn't be worried. Because God has set his son on a throne. And a kingdom is coming. And we have to have our eyes focused on that kingdom. Knowing all history, when all hell breaks loose, all history is heading toward God's divine plan where Jesus Christ will one day reign physically over this earth. As king. Wow. Can I get an amen out there? All right. So we should get excited. You know, Jesus said this in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I have to be honest with you. 
I talk to so many Christians who are so troubled and so worried about what's going on in our world, what's going on with our president or whatever, and they're so rocked by what's happening down here. I'm like, get your eyes on Jesus. He's your king, not some political ruler or what's going on down here. Wow. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That you, God, This is God's promise to you. I'm going to take you to be with me. You're going to be with me in this kingdom. Nothing can change that. You are secure in that. Don't worry. What should we do when our world's falling apart? Yep, our world is falling apart, but God's not worried, so don't be worried. God's established his king with a promised kingdom, and nothing can change that decree. And here's the real practical part to all of it. Number three, we should get ready to meet the king by living out kingdom priorities. What should we do when our world's falling apart? In Jesus' words, watch this, get ready. Your redemption draws near. The worse it gets, the closer we get. Hasn't Jesus told us our world is going to fall apart? I mean, read Matthew 24. Matthew 24, the entire chapter, tells us about all the signs leading up to the end. If you don't have a clear understanding of what the end is going to be like eschatologically, get my series, The End, Please study it so you understand. I, I, in that series, I give you the 10 main prophetic uh, events that lead up to the, the end, the destruction of this planet. And you need to understand that. You shouldn't be confused by all these signs that are birth pains that are just saying, guess what? Labor, birth, a kingdom's coming. Don't be confused by it. Don't get worried by it. Rejoice in many ways because it's exciting. God's coming. But the question is this, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to return right now? Are you living your life in light of his imminent return? If you knew a bomb were going to hit this room in five minutes, I think that would change your behavior. <laughs> a new kingdom could come any second, and that fact ought to focus our priorities, right? And I love how this psalm ends, because... I see six kingdom priorities in verses 10 to 12 that should characterize the life of a person who is getting ready and living their life with their eyes focused on the king of kings saying, Lord, I just want to be ready for your kingdom and help me to live now in light of where I'm going. So you're just not caught up in this world. The Bible talks about that. When Jesus returns, he's going to find people just doing things God's people, distracted, caught up in this world, the priorities of this world, are you living for the kingdom of God? You have been given, and so have I, a very short life. Live it fully for Jesus Christ, 100%, 100%, 1,000%. What are you giving to the kingdom of God? Give your money away. Give your time away. I know that sounds radical. It's just normal Christian living. When I go to these countries I go to, just like coming back from Ethiopia, 
They put us to shame by how they live for the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. And they always say, Mark, I don't know how you make it in the United States. Because there's no persecution there. I'm talking to a pastor. He tells me 15 of his friends have been killed for their faith in Ethiopia. You know, that, that sharpens your, it changes the way you look at the world. And one day, I, persecution will come to the United States. I mean, it's going to come. Because that's what the Bible predicts. It's going to come. Don't wait for it to come. Start releasing some of your finances now for the kingdom of God. Because where your treasure is, there's your heart also. If you're not giving to the kingdom, let me tell you, your heart's not there. I'm saying this because I love you. You know I love you, right? But I'm just like, you know what? I'm just like, I don't know. The older I get, maybe I, I don't know. Can I get more cranky? <laughs> I hope I'm not coming across cranky. I'm just like, where is our heads, you know? We're Christians. We're called to go out and make disciples and win the world to Christ, right? I mean, people are dying. They're going to hell. Ah, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying. And hey, I get, I get as distracted as you. There's, seriously, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. I'm like, Mark, wake up. Wake up. Um, so let me give you these priorities. Verse 10. Number one, be wise. Look at verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Now, it's so easy for us to go, oh, that's speaking about kings. But guess what? We're all kings. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are king. Just right now. Just tell that. Because we're kings of our own kingdom, right? In the United States, we make our own decision. We're not subjects, you know? And wisdom is the ability to live and see life from God's perspective. I mean, seriously, if you were to meet the Lord today, tonight, are, are you really pleased yourself? with how you've been living. It, it's just something. It, I don't know, the other day I was just like, where is the fear of God in our nation? Seriously, when I read that, that story about these guys that are coming to California kidnapping people, what broke my heart is they're kidnapping, you know, Californians, taking them out of the state of Nevada, calling the family and saying, hey, for $1,500. I'm like, $1,500 is all you want for that guy you just kidnapped? They beat, you know, beat. This is happening all over our state. I'm like, where's the fear of God? Do these people have no clue that we will stand before God and give an account for every careless word and action? Where is the fear of God? To, that, that's living a wise life to have God's fear. And it just, you know, wow, we are so far from thinking this way in many ways. Second, be warned. Look at verse 10. Uh, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Now, again, it's directing to rulers because they have so much responsibility. But we have responsibility as well. We're all rulers. Be warned. The, the whole context here is there is a king coming, and he will judge. We are accountable to God. So question, are we living our life in light of the fact that one day we will give an account for our lives? I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that. Yes, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. Yes, by grace, we're going to be saved. But we, you, you have, and so do I, an appointment where we will stand before God and give an account of our lives to him. That is just biblical truth. And that, that should bring the fear of God and, 
in not a condemning way. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. We're going to actually stand to be rewarded. But the Bible does say some will shrink in shame of him at his coming. I don't know how all that works out. But yeah, you can have shame, but not into eternity. But at that judgment, I think there's somehow it works its way out. I'm like, well, how is it? I don't know. I can only teach the Bible. There's some things I can't fully understand. How you can have eternal bliss, but at the same time, at least at the beginning, at judgment, there seems to be some shame there at that. I don't get that, but I have to at least say it because I think God's word helps us when we understand that to live properly. But I look at Ecclesiastes. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Wow. So be warned. The third thing I see is be a servant. Verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear. And can I just say this? This room is filled with servants. I am so humbled to come up here. You need to know this. I'm so humbled to come up here week after week, and I get a look out at you guys, every one of you, and I see you serving the Lord. I see you kingdom-minded. And I really, it's an honor. It really is. It's an honor for me to just, I just pray, God, encourage these people. Encourage them, because I see you giving out to your families. And you have ministry outside of this church. Many of you serve in this church. But I see you kingdom-minded people. And I just commend you, and I pray for you, and I love you deeply. And I just want to commend you that you will never regret all the serving, and that some people never see what you do. I look at Deborah Alcantara. That woman has written so many cards to so many people, and no one knows what she does. Well, I do now because I just told the story. So now you don't have a reward for that, Deborah. But I just, I look at all of what you guys do. There's things you do, and it's so beautiful. And even if you don't get mentioned, you're doing this for the Lord. That is such a, you're living in light of what God's calling you to do as a child of the king be a servant whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant number four celebrate his rule with trembling verse 11 says serve the lord then celebrate his rule with trembling that's beautiful godly balance the kings of the earth they say let us free ourselves from god let us throw off the shackles of god but then we were the opposite we ready ourselves by celebrating his kingdom rule his lordship over our lives. We say, Lord, you are my God. Let me submit to you. Thy will be done. And whenever you say that, you're living for the kingdom. Not my will, but thy will be done. I see so many of you making that decision, and sometimes at great sacrifice, but whenever I see it, I go, that is a kingdom-minded person, and it's awesome. Take refuge in Jesus, verse 12. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. That's an interesting phrase, kiss his son. That's poetic imagery, but it conveys the idea of full surrender to Jesus, submission to Jesus. Servants in the Old Testament would show obedience to their king by kissing their hand. And it's a picture of being fully devoted to someone, putting yourself fully underneath them. The only hope we have to stand before the king of this universe is to take refuge in Jesus. Today, God is speaking to nations everywhere in his grace, and he's calling them to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Failure to do so will ultimately lead to the judgment of their own lives. Like it says there, kiss his son or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. This is God's warning. Revelation 20, 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's terrifying. 2 Peter 3, 9, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then you listen to the promise God gives at the end of verse 12, which I love. It says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Happy will you be. Take refuge in Jesus. Turn to Christ. No more games. Don't be playing games with God. Take refuge fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how should we get ready, you know, for the King of Kings? Live out his kingdom priorities. And we just looked at those. We're almost out of time, but you know what? I want to give you a minute to talk about this at your tails before I pray. What are some kingdom priorities, just listed here, that need to be more in my life so I'm ready for his return? Of all those, which one is like, man, that one is most important for me that I want to live out this week, and then I'll pray for you as uh, we take off. Take a moment to talk about that. All right, guys. Hey, let me, uh, let me just have the privilege of praying for you. Scott, it's good to see you, brother. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I pray, Lord, that you would use this message to just wash over our minds and our hearts a perspective, maybe that we haven't had maybe fully. Lord, just remind us, I pray, in the midst of a world that is falling apart, that it is falling apart. Because you said it would, but you're not worried, so help us not to be worried, Lord. To be concerned, to be active, yeah, but not worried. Lord, help us also to remember, you have established Jesus as king, and nothing and no one can change this. Nothing. So whatever's rocking our world right now, that, that hasn't changed the fact that Jesus is king and he's our king. Help us, Lord, to ready ourselves to meet you by living out kingdom priorities that honor you, Lord. Not because we have to to somehow earn our salvation. We know that's done because of you, Jesus, your gift to us through faith. But because of that gift, because we are your children and we want to be part of this kingdom and love you, help us to live wisely, to serve you with every part of our being, to celebrate your rule over our lives, to ever take refuge in you, Jesus, all the time, to say, let thy will be done. So we thank you for your promise also. Blessed are those who take refuge in the Lord. What a beautiful kingdom truth for us, even right now, with whatever is concerning us, to take refuge right in you and say, surround me in your care, Lord. Protect me, deliver me, do a miracle in me, through me. Lord, let me be your child. A child of the king, living in light of the kingdom that's in the midst of emerging all around me in all the chaos that you said would come before the greatest part of it emerges, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And all God's people said, amen. amen.